0: Fusion Patrol is a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can help support us at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. This is the Fusion Patrol podcast. Each week we look at a different science fiction TV episode or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene.
1: And I'm Kenneth.
0: And tonight we're looking at the Star Hunter Redux episode Family Values, episode synopsis. Rodolfo monologues at the captive audience on the Transutopian. It is unclear if they are hearing a word he's saying. Time seems to weigh heavily upon them. Dante shuts himself in his room and engages maximum privacy protocol. There he hooks up to a neural device and enters a virtual world where his wife, Penny, awaits. Penny, it would seem, is an incomplete data simulation of Dante's late wife. This too is breaking down and will cease to function. But for now it is their anniversary and Dante is feeling the loss. Penny thinks she can feel their son, Travis, nearby. Please find him, Dante, so I can see him one last time before I die again. Meanwhile, Percy, ignoring maximum privacy mode, enters Dante's room and sees him, seemingly unconscious, hooked up to the machine. She leaves without alerting Dante to her presence. They arrive at Mars, and Rodolfo gives them something more useful than a monologue. He gives them an assignment. Apprehend Etienne, a small-time crook. Etienne and his accomplice lover Brad are running a computerized shell game. And cheating, of course. Rumbled, just as Dante and Lucretia arrive, they flee for their lives out onto the terraformed desert of Mars. But to no avail, Dante and Lucretia catch them. At the same time, a raider ship arrives, attacks and kills Brad. Unable to communicate with the ship because of Mars's turbulent terraformed atmosphere, they must flee. That is, until Percy uses their bird's-eye drone, specially modified with explosives, to destroy the raider ship. In the wreckage, Dante finds a wounded raider and his captive son. Raiders are former Black Galaxy Marines that were used for secret biological testing. Those that didn't die become sterile. Apparently, due to frustrated daddy issues, they've decided to become a force of privateers who steal children to raise them as their own. Dante immediately recognizes the 10-ish year old child to be his son, Travis, who he lost 10 years ago when he was a baby. Never mind that it doesn't make sense. Dads just have a natural instinct about these things. They take them all captive and continue to return to the city in their shuttle. Unfortunately, more raiders are on their trail. Back on the trans-utopian, having destroyed the bird's eye, Percy has nothing better to do than use this opportunity to break into Dante's room and hook herself up to the... Penny Arcade. She comes face to face with her late aunt, who compliments her, tells her she shouldn't have come, and makes her forget everything she saw. Caravaggio, aware of what has happened, uses fruit ripening gases to awaken Percy. Back on Mars, they've got a problem. The raiders are coming. They don't have weapons to fight them off, and if they manage to get back to their six-seater shuttle, which easily flew four people in the last week's episode, they don't have room to carry five people. It is at this moment that Dante remembers he has a portable DNA paternity tester, which takes only seconds to administer. He tests the boy, but the device is broken. Or is it? He'll definitely have to take the boy back to the ship, but they'll never make it with the raiders tracking them. Etienne, disconsolate over the death of Brad, volunteers to stay behind with the injured raider, waiting for the others to arrive, giving Dante, Lucretia, and the boy a chance to get back to the shuttle. When the raiders arrive for them, Etienne actually has a weapon on him that both ruins the reception of my television and also incapacitates and possibly kills all the raiders, allowing him to escape. Finally, back at the transutopian, DNA tests confirm what everybody except Dante already knew. The boy isn't his. They head out to return him to his real family, but before they get there, Dante and the boy share a bit of surrogate father-son time that Dante so desperately craves. The end. I will say that it would be hard for it to be worse from last week. So it is definitely a better episode than the previous one. And it definitely was more useful in context of what I assume is to be coming or what I what I need to kind of get a grip on what the heck is going on here and i and i'll continue to maintain that last week's episode should never have been shown when they showed it but i i agree um i still did get about 3 quarters of the way into this episode and i kind of thought so when when's whatever is going to happen in this episode going to happen it's all been preliminaries up to this point and and Then I realized, oh, wait, it's actually almost I'm only 10 minutes from Bover here. I'm it has happened. Okay, got it. So I wasn't a huge fan of it, but it was definitely better than the last one. But it did raise lots of questions and there were lots of lots of points in it. Go ahead. Well, um, let's see. One thing I will say, I happen to be watching this with subtitles on. Just, I think I was watching something previously that was British and I sometimes flipped the subtitles on to catch some of the odd slang. And uh, the opening credits roll. And there through the silent shots of the transutopian and Dante and all that stuff, the following words appeared in the subtitles when no one was speaking. They said, I'm a bounty hunter. It's just something I do. I'm really looking for something that was stolen from me. Ten years ago they took my son. As I search, there are signs that something is happening, that humanity's about to change. But I won't be distracted. How do I find one small boy in a lawless universe? I'm not sure, but I have to keep trying. Which I'm gonna guess was the original narration that ran over the credits? Yes it was. Uh huh. Weird that they forgot to take that out of the subtitle. That's true. <laughs> I wish they had left that in.
1: Oh, yeah. So it would have been much, have been very helpful.
0: I mean, for the previous two episodes, even, I wish they had left that in because, you know, we have just been thrown deep end and yeah, I can pick it up that Dante's a bounty hunter and whatnot. But, but you know, with this, you definitely get, he's not really a bounty hunter. I mean, he may have been a bounty hunter for 10 years and he may be good at it, but he's just he's just using this as an excuse or a a, me, a method to an end and it it kind of raises a few questions about what the heck he was as do other things in this episode before um, as far Hunter. as
1: what he was i can tell you wait until episode 7 and you'll find out
0: um part of what i'll skip around since we're talking about that piece um because it like i say th- this felt like a whole you mentioned it before, um, and, and maybe that's tainting my vision of it, so take that with a grain of salt. But a lot of the things that happened in this episode didn't really go anywhere, but at the same time, I felt like they were trying to set stuff up. So they may, have been, little, may have been a little ham-fisted, or, but let's talk about Dante's dead wife. Penny. What a horrible, horrible person she is. If that is an accurate representation of her. She is causing all his problems. I I can see this now. Looking at that scene, it's like, oh, no wonder this man's emotionally screwed up. He's going in and yakking with his dead wife. And she's egging him on. Oh, I've got to see my baby one more time. No, you're dead. All you're doing is preserving the pain of that man. You are... extending and agonizing it that's assuming that she's really a sentient ai thing as opposed Um, to a representation of what he wants her to be and it 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 really was like wow okay i get why he's messed up she should just let it go right i'm dead she knows she's dead it's like you know something turn me off smash it up get on with your life go
1: yes and again i'm just gonna say Episode seven will explain that,
0: and, and and this is where I'm getting at. Um, you know, th- we got a little bit of the, we got a little bit of the background there. That she is obviously, I'll use obviously, but it, it was obvious to me whether or not really is true. She was the inventor of this technology, or she was the developer of this technology. You are this correct. This was the thing she was working on, and Dante, as far as I can tell, was just the guy who raises the kids and cooks the food. I don't know, because it didn't sound like he was really knew what he was doing. She said, well, I, I did everything you told me to do, as if it was not something he knew what to do. It was something that he was following her instructions to try to save her brain, whatever the project they were working on.
1: You are correct.
0: Okay. So, and he doesn't seem smart enough to be a scientist, Based on everything we've seen, so I'm guessing he's just the house husband or whatever. But maybe he had a job. Maybe he he did something. He was a cop or who knows what. But he, he was not. He was not part of the team that created this, or he was not part of the the brain trust that created this technology. And it does uh, uh, seem like
1: an addiction. Yes, it is, and I'll tell you only as much as you want to know because uh, I know spoilers. Um, but episode seven. So all I'm saying all right it. now. Otherwise, so we're
0: coming up. We'll 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 learn some more about this this piece, and that's probably good enough to know. Um, I I think it's it's an interesting concept, and gosh, I I, I literally last week uh, was recording uh, one of these on an episode of Doomwatch, in which it had to do with preserving preserving life beyond death, and it wasn't exactly recording the mind as a digital imprint but you know many of the same issues are raised as to whether or not this is what is the value to this versus what is the harm because you can see the harm it's doing to dante he he he's obviously sees himself as faithful to his wife who doesn't exist but she asserts that she exists and she knows that she's not really what and and maybe she doesn't realize it's been ten years and that she is doing irreparable harm to him. I dunno. But it I didn't come off thinking Penny was a particularly nice human being or a particularly empathetic human being with other people. Um it it, it didn't just didn't come off very well.
1: Uh, without revealing too much, I'll just I'll just hint. Um you will learn much more about penny as you keep watching episodes i
0: assume that they wouldn't have hired an actress if they weren't gonna uh, give some more uh give some more to her uh, part in this particular case um the other thing that it kind of reminded me of and i know it's not the same right i know i know these are not the same thing but once again just like in the divinity cluster where we have something coming up from the human genome or an alien genome embedded in the human genome, whatever you, however you want to say it, um, that is moving man to another level of existence. This too is exactly that sort of thing. You know, if you can, if you can transfer a person's mind, an exact copy of the person's mind upon their death into a computer that can accurately recreate them, then that person, quote, unquote, never need die, but they are not a human anymore, right? They don't have right. the same sensory input. They don't have the same... They they will, just like we all do through our lives, you begin to change based on the input and the, and the external forces on you. They will be completely and utterly different. They will be something different than human beings at that point. And... If they're computer based, yeah. Why not fix a few things? Oh, got a little bit of a stutter. <sharp> tweak, <tarlow> no more stutter. If not smart as you wanted to be. You know, we can probably uh, tweak that up a little bit. Really wanted a dry wit. I can handle dry wit. You know, so I- it it raises it raises lots of questions. And and are they people? Do they have rights? Um, yeah, it- it's. It's always been a fascinating area. Uh, I hope they go somewhere interesting with it.
1: Oh yes, uh, and people—that's um, this. We this comes up again and again throughout the first season.
0: Okay. Next question, and this one would not be a spoilerific thing. This one's a this is a pastorific thing that brought to my mind. You have mentioned that, and and I have read that Rudolfo in episodes had narration and i had a different idea in my mind completely as to what that would look like but here we have Rodolfo rambling on seemingly broadcasting it everywhere in the ship i can only assume that everyone there is being forced to watch it Because they are completely oblivious to it, as if this was edited in afterwards.
1: Yes, it was. Um, I did did notice that. um, For the record, in the original versions of these episodes that people filmed in 2000 Mm -hmm. and broadcast in 2000 and 2001, the the episode always went as follows. There was the opening credit sequence with the narration. Then there was a broadcast from Rudolfo and a little transmission. It was actually a transmission from, from Rudolfo, excuse me. And mm-hmm. then we went into and over that played the episode title and directed by and written by and right. all that. And then we got into the story. Was the narration done like, well, so in this one, we see the
0: narration from Rudolfo, and it's being superimposed on holographic
1: displays. The answer is the... no; it was just was just or, or just him looking or, at the camera. It was just him looking at the camera. He was uh, at at his um, base on the moon and talking. And sometimes we had no idea to whom he was talking. Um, and sometimes he's just rambling on about his family history or his sex life or. Uh, something right. or the other and and some and um, I did notice in this case that people did cut off actually that's a rather unfortunate way of putting it it did um, terminate uh, right before he got to his um, sexual boasting um, oh, good and, but the <laughs> okay um, was, um, I did play it back on um, disc first and um, a few weeks ago and then
0: it is a bit of a, a sort of gross coughing kind of uh, monstrosity of a human being and uh, More and so the,
1: look... more so in the second season.
0: Yeah, and because he's in it, right? Yes. <laughs> he's, he's physically there. In this, you look at him and go, yeah, this is a guy you don't want to be around, so if they don't go into his sexual exploits, I'm
1: I'm totally cool with that. Yes, exactly. And sometimes in those opening transmissions, we actually learned important information um, which is which helped to be background, but Okay. but but most of those don't exist in Redux. In fact, i I have seen all of season one of Redux of Star Hunter Redux, and people kept two. Mm.
0: Um, he also in this one, and the reason I'm guessing that they kept it is because he's yammering on about family, and this yes. episode is all about family. I don't know. That he said anything of value about family, except that the forms of families in this new world are different, which could refer to Dante and Penny uh, or, well, mostly Dante and Penny. But it could also have been talking, I keep saying Penny, I mean Penny, and uh, I'm thinking pasta, I'm hungry here. And and, uh, Etienne and Brad, which is obviously a much more common family arrangement here in 2019 than it was in or 2020 when this airs, uh, than it was in 2001.
1: Two, well, actually probably 2000. Yeah.
0: 2000 when they, when they came up with it. So, you know, and, or the unconventional family arrangement of the Raiders. Yes. Who, who make their own, make their own families out of it. So I I can, I can see why they left it in because it sort of sets the theme, but I don't know that it adds anything. It, and, and maybe it it's just you, because, like I say, they're just trying to let you realize that families are can be very different.
1: Yes, it doesn't really add much. You're right. And in fact, um, there were some of the other 20 uh, opening transmissions cut that uh, added more to their episodes, but so be it.
0: But for some reason, yeah, I mean, I could see how, for example, if if he was yammering on about how the Martian terraforming or something that might be providing you important information, maybe not important is the wrong word, but it would be giving you some information so that when they go to Mars, they don't have to explain as much in in episode, which, or, or in other situations, like we might have learned about, about how prisoner transfers work or why they're doing it mercury prison or, or you know all of those things i could see how it could be a useful tool for world building um i can also see how a lot of people would hate it because a lot of people just really don't like opening narration you know i'll, I'll never be i'll never be completely against opening narration in a tv show because there is nothing better than space the final frontier Frontierum. and you know it's in every episode so when another show does it i just assume they're ripping off star trek Um, because, you know, obviously. Obviously. Star (laughs) Trek. Great show. Hmm. Well, one of my very favorites. One of my very favorites.
1: I have the whole thing on Blu-ray.
0: Oh, yes. Indeed. I love them with the new special effects. They are. Yes. I I accept, I accept that rebuild wholeheartedly and graciously that that was a loving and beautiful thing to have done to them. men. Yes, it was. Um, speaking of families, let's take a look at... And I, my stuff's in no particular logical order, so Etienne and Brad. Oh yes. So when they started out, before we knew that they were a couple, as opposed to a Abbott and Costello con man team, and they're running along and they're yammering about their their we should have gone here, we did it that, you promised me the other stuff, and and I admit I was looking at that and going, you know, these are two con men. There's the slick con man, and then there's kind of the gullible one that's that he's got to go along with him. And again, kind of a Bud Abbott, Lou Costello kind of arrangement, except that their bickering, all I could think of was, wow, there is there is the bickering of one seriously stereotyped 1960s U.S. husband and wife sitcom bickering. They were just, they just had that they had that pattern. They not quite Ralph Cramden and, and Alice because, first off, that's not sixties. Second off,
1: <laughs> no, it's not. that
0: was brilliantly done, but it had that sort of same dynamic going on. And it wasn't until it wasn't until they were playing footsie or not quite footsie, but before Dante caught them, that it's like, oh, oh, this actually is meant to be a bickering husband and wife team. Oh, didn't get that. Um, and then the first thought in my mind was now, is that because they were trying to replicate that intentionally for, for effect? Or is that because that was the only way they could envision a homosexual couple
1: being, um, I don't, no, I took it. I took Brad in particular as being stereotypical.
0: Oh yeah, oh oh yeah. It was not a subtle. I mean, I, like I said, they weren't they weren't doing the standard Mister Humphreys from Are You Being Served. So it, it didn't. They weren't telegraphing it like they would have done a long time ago. Until they hit the point, but they were not well drawn. Especially Brad, since they killed him off very quickly, they didn't need to. Etienne's a little bit different, but yeah, I just I, I haven't got the measure of these guys to know whether or not they just cannot write couples, or whether they cannot write gay couples in in that. Um, and it was shorthand, right? I mean, you throw in the bickering sitcom couple, and you immediately know, as I did when I heard them bickering, I'm like, oh, immediately sitcom married couple, and and so that was that was part of the the thought and i wonder if you know they were intentionally the writers as part of this family thing you know they did this intentionally to make part of that point about the future of humanity in which case more power to them yeah. for for being trying to be uh progressively yeah. you know they they didn't portray them negatively except for the fact that they were a sitcom couple which you know in the end we all know that Ralph and Alice love each other and it will all be good in the end. It's just that they've known each other and and have everything down to the point where they're just picking at each other all the time for because that's their their modus operandi.
1: Uh, Yes. I also noticed that this um, that some of those scenes um, combined with the soundtrack um, over those scenes um, did provide some comic relief.
0: Oh, yeah. I I have I've a note on the soundtrack. So I had the subtitles on, remember? Yes. <laughs> so it pops up and it actually says things like ominous music playing, <laughs> eerie music playing. When those two escaped and they were running along the desert and they were bickering and it was playing that, you know, wah, 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 or whatever the tune, you know, the comedy uh, music yeah. that they were playing to go along with them. The subtitles read. Dramatic music playing. Dramatic, music. and I'm like, "What is this? Another? Did they change the music for Star Hunter Redux?" Yes. Oh, <laughs> interesting. More interesting.
1: so, more so in the second season than in the first season. But in this case, I, I did notice the change in the music because, as I said, I have the I have all of these original episodes on DVD, and so. I did notice. on my well, my watch again that where I where I watched it first on disc, then um I went I went to, I went to Amazon Prime and I watched the Redux mm-hmm. version. I thought that music's different,
0: mm-hmm. and it 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 does set the tone. I mean it it added to that whole comic bickering thing. It it made these people, it instantly made these two criminals seem
1: harmless, instantly compared to the raiders. They are
0: well. Yeah. But, you know, we don't know that. We don't know that when they're, they're doing their shell game and they're, they're escaping. Sure, they're, they're con men and con men usually aren't violent murderers of that sort. But, you know, th- as soon as they get on the desert and they're, they're bickering and you hear that wah- <laughs> funny music, you go, OK, these guys are not to be taken seriously as criminals. They're they are criminals. I'm not saying they aren't, but they're not. This is not going to be a tense chase. With Dante after them, and and you know, firefights and stuff like that. You just you just instantly know that it's really perfunctory. Uh, but anyway, let's see what else do I have? I, I um, see Brad gets killed, and Etienne first goes through some pantomime grief, um, and I, I really believe that he's supposed to feel this grief. I I I don't think he's faking it or, or maybe I'm maybe I'm misreading this situation. He he's you know, the whole oh kill me, shoot me now, I've nothing to live for. Um I I got the feeling that the lines were meant to be serious, but it just kinda comes off as not um over the top, um way too melodramatic, flamboyant. Uh ATN is flamboyant. Yeah. Um so towards the end, he stays behind to because of the MacGuffin that somehow the six seater shuttle can't handle five people. I counted the seats. I noticed <laughs> that I thought about that too. There's two four people seats behind the two pilots' chairs, and it's like, really? Really? <laughs> you can't take all five of them? Uh-huh. Yeah. And one of them's a little boy? Uh-huh. Come on. All right. But he it's, stays behind. It is a plot hole. He says he's not going to kill them. Although it's kind of unclear to me whether or not he did or not because I don't know what that gas did to them. Um, it, Certainly some of them shot each other when they were spazzing yes. under the influence of the drug. So some of them definitely died. And... When we last see him, he looks at the child and he says something to the effect of, does the butterfly remember when it was a caterpillar?
1: I wrote that down.
0: And I I looked, I thought about that one. Um, It was such an odd line for somebody to have looked at a child and asked that question. It was such an odd line that I felt for sure that this has to be it. A setup for something future. And so I asked myself, now, what could it be? And a few odd candidates came to mind. He could be referencing the boy, which he does not officially know is not Travis. And the boy has been transformed beyond any recognizable thing for Dante. And let's face it, babies, 10 year olds and babies have nothing in common.
1: Oh, just one correction about the age. Um, according to all internal evidence on the first season, at this point, Travis is fourteen.
0: Three ain't no baby. Four um, ain't no baby.
1: I, but, I'm, I'm, but I know it's a dialogue. Yeah. But that's just taken as a as a as a preponderance of the evidence in the first season. Um, the abduction was at age three, um, and and um, we we're about eleven years out. And the actor it does change things. Yes, and Denis Therio was the actor who played Jeb slash Vincent Taylor. And I looked I looked him up on IMDb at the time of the filming of the episode. He was fourteen.
0: Well, and you know that's they hire old actors who look young intentionally in television all the time, of course, obviously for kids. But um, yeah, it it's just, but it does and they even reference it in this episode and where penny says you know i don't know which is worse to realize that he would not recognize this of course he wouldn't a three-year-old might all right tell a lie my mother died when i was three i have absolutely zero recollection of her existence nothing there it's completely and utterly a blank for my whole life so you know even if this kid's three i don't think he is going to have any recollection of anything but being raised by the raiders and that would be true with jeb and it would be true of travis and that raises that raises some issues but hold on before i i get back to that the the like i say etienne's question about the the caterpillar and the boy so is is jeb the butterfly who cannot remember being the caterpillar when he was in the cocoon of Dante and his parents or is Etienne referring to himself who has transformed as part of this experience with Brad's death and with whatever he did to the raiders and escaping is he a new man and he felt very much like we will see him again because obviously he's seen Dante many times before and they gave oh, him enough four. personality in this episode yeah at least or or 8 depending <laughs> on whose whose account and you know they invested a, a, an awful lot in the character who was a criminal to let him go for him not to show up again right. so but i don't know if that's who he was referring to
1: in, i think it to quote. be a reference to the boy in this case in if we just stay within the episode we mm-hmm. have support for that because at the end vincent as he begins to call himself has been when is um, about 14 years old. Um, and he's been with the Raiders um, nine, for years. nine years. He doesn't remember his family. Mm-hmm.
0: I feel, well, of course, Travis doesn't, or uh, Etienne doesn't know He thinks it might be Travis, which, you know, slightly different numbers, but the same, exact same principle, right? I felt that, you know, when, when, Dante tried to take the boy away from Lexus. Uh,
1: let me look at that name. The name is Tell us.
0: T E L U S. Tell us. Um The boy reacted like a child would react being taken from his father. Well, a bo- he reacts like a boy from a violent culture uh that's trying to be taken from his father. It's the only father he's ever really known. I'm not convinced that by the end of this episode, he will have forgiven Dante or tolerate him or even acknowledge the truth of the matter that, you know, that wasn't his family and that he's been kidnapped. And I'm not entirely sure he's wrong. I mean, I know you don't you don't allow people to kidnap children and then raise them as your own legally, ethically, morally. You can't, I don't condone that and I, I don't mean it in that way. But psychologically this kid's this kid is a member of that family he needs therapy he needs he needs help and it's going to take a long time if ever for him to accept his new reality uh because it's you know it's all he's ever known True. and you know it, it it does i don't want to say that dante should give up for that reason but kind of dante should give up for that reason too uh, he's not going to get his son back. It, 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 it can't. I mean, if it does, if he gets his son back and his son's like, Hey dad, good to see you. Or, or even within, you know, 20 years, um, then, you know, at best, maybe Dante could be his stepdad or, you know, he's never going to have that father, son, relationship he he might be able to develop a good relationship with him but and i don't know enough about the raiders i do know they got lots of money um because they got a whole fleet of identical ships and a and a star base or
1: the mother
0: ship or something
1: the raiders have connections
0: yes that's my suspicion too my guess is that they're they're uh orchard but uh actually, <laughs> you, you, or they yeah. were one or the other they either they were infected by orchard or they became don't don't tell me but i yeah
1: you are getting warmer a, <laughs> it ha,
0: it has to be orchard has to do more than just be worried about the divinity cluster and um uh, anyway so so well that was the boy i just i just covered the boy my concerns about the boy if they ever find the boy or this boy it it's going to it's a cruel thing to do to him yeah I, yes. I I don't know how bad life is with the raiders. I also don't understand why the raiders only abduct boy
1: children. They don't.
0: Well, they did specifically say that.
1: I noticed Lucretia that. said it. I noticed that. Um, but um, it doesn't make sense to their stated goal, which is to have families. Exactly. They um, uh, there are female raiders.
0: There we go. And and there should have been female raiders in the Black Galaxy Marines too in the
1: future. I've had, we will learn more about the Raiders as we go on. Um, they, and there will be some questions, um, in. I'll be bringing up along the way, for example, certainly, uh, the children they abduct are not sterile.
0: Right. Right. That's just, this is just a temporary setback. They're trying to build a new culture. Uh, society would be the logical conclusion of that. Uh, or they could they could literally adopt children normally um it it the whole idea that well, we might as well do the do the raiders now um so we have a little bit of an uh expository dump between Dante and uh Lexus and he tells us tell us <laughs> I'm going to call him Lexus every time so if I call him Lexus is tell us and if I say tell us well I meant it I probably meant Lexus, but anyway. Um where you know, uh uh tell us tells us.
1: huh? <laughs> yes, yes.
0: hadn't hadn't thought about that. This raider was brought in for exposition to tell us stuff. Oh dear. Oh, I hope I hope that that writer got an extra $5 for that um for that subtle play. Um he <laughs> <laughs> I'm so proud of myself for spotting that. Um, true real or not.
1: <laughs> he was clever.
0: He he tells us that they were infected with the Magellan flu virus. They were experimented on they don't say by whom. I say orchard. Um they were or they were orchards troops, or they were orchards troops, and they were experimented experimented on by Orchard, because that seems like the kind of thing an evil organization would do. And all those guys at the first episode were wearing black on their combat troops, so black galaxy marines could easily be. Um, And some of them drowned in their own phlegm, which sounds awful, and the rest of them became sterile. And apparently, en masse, as a group, they decided to become a band of privateers?
1: They're the pirates.
0: They okay, yeah. They seemed a little. They seemed a little destructive. So, for example, why did they bother to attack Dante and Lucretia on the ground? They're not. That wasn't. That wasn't worth an attack for for pirates, right? You you would. You'd go after ships. You'd go after things with with bounty, as it were. But. It does harken back, and I realize that this is prior to, but it harkens back to the Reavers in the uh, Firefly in that they seem to be, their actions seem to be more destructive than anything else.
1: Yes, but the Reavers were also out of their
0: gourds. Right. They were out of their gourds. That's right. These guys we didn't know until now are gripped with, I want to be a daddy issues. And it just doesn't seem sufficient cause, it doesn't seem sufficient cause to go do what they've done unless they've got a specific agenda, like getting back specifically at the people who did this to them. Um, but it it's not like they're doing that. I mean, they've captured Dante's son, and as far as I can tell, he's not associated with Orchard or whoever it was that did whatever it was. Maybe he is, I don't know. But uh, it it just seems kind of, like, all right, well, that explains why they go after the kids, sort of. But there's probably plenty of kids they could adopt, really. This seems like a universe with tons of kids that probably don't have parents, that yeah, so they can yeah. just go, want to be a raider? Yeah.
1: The raiders so, just um, seem to be angry at authority. And and I guess, who isn't in these days? Exactly. <laughs>
0: in yes. these times. So, um. Let's see what uh,
1: else do I have. About, oh, go ahead. I did notice something. I don't know if you noticed this, but early in the episode, did you get a close up on one of the on one of the stained glass windows on the bridge? Something I saw one with a tulip. A, something a resembling a ship. That's the old design of the tulip, though before people remastered it.
0: Okay, I saw the ship, and I, you know, it's stained glass, so I. Like, well, okay, it's close enough. It's very but, okay, stylized, that makes but it's, sense. it's
1: the original. It's the pre-master. Okay.
0: Okay. Um, let's this see. This is the
1: only use of the bird's eye. We'll never see it again. Well, it's blown up. Yeah, it's not kind of And people, people never got another one. Okay. Uh, um, nor vegetables, it seems like. Yes. Um, Percy <laughs> says she's never been to Earth. Which she was two episodes ago, but she wasn't yes. on Earth. Yes. Um but, and also she said, it makes you, he type talking about Mars, he said, it makes you wonder what Earth is like.
0: Yeah. And that she should have at least. Yes. Had a feel for. I, I did notice that that felt, again, sort of out of place compared to things we've seen in the episode. Um, Percy, we might as well get on with Percy, Um, see, breaks into Dante's, I, I say breaks in, but walks into Dante's room while he's in maximum privacy mode, which you'd think would lock the door yes, uh, at well. the very least, but apparently not. Well, you know, there's two things. It's different from walking in on somebody who has a do not disturb sign on their door and somebody who has a do not disturb sign on their door and it's locked. Right. One is, one is an act of disregarding that person's wishes. And the other is an act of breaking and entry, And, uh, they're two different degrees. I couldn't tell. I mean, she just walked in as if it was casual Friday. So I'm thinking Dante forgot to lock the door. But
1: that sounds right.
0: Um, while he's on his little, uh, when he's on his little uh, trip, and then she breaks in to try it herself. I, I I'm not getting her. I, I'm not making any sense out of her. Uh, Why does she do that? She doesn't pick up on social cues. It, it's. It's not even social cues. She didn't even bother to ask him what it was. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, at, at the very least, y- you could go, hey, what was that? Is it a new video game or something? But instead, she breaks in and 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 tries it. And one, that, that informs us about Percy's personality. Nice play on words. <laughs> Thank you. I, I'm on form tonight. <laughs> yes, you are. And... Uh, and then she forgets it, so she it said was she, all for naught.
1: She, she said oh, she forgot it.
0: She said she forgot it.
1: Um, when I've learned that some of these characters do not only do not always speak honestly. Also, I here's something I picked up on because I watched this in the original version and as um, and the Redux version. Percy says she remembered whiteness. Mm-hmm. It was not white. Uh, it was white in the original
0: it was white in the original. Uh okay.
1: one of the occasional hiccups with Star Hunter Redux is that dialogue indicates one thing and our remastered version indicates something else. Something else. Okay. And and whiteness would have been
0: much better. I think I I would go with whiteness. I think, you know, for example, the opening scene where she is cradling Penny is cradling the baby. <clears throat> yes. The imaging would have been much better if that had been the classic white of death memory kind of uh, view of things. But because it had a little binary digitally stuff floating around in the back, I'm like, what the heck is that a, is that a really stupid photograph that he's looking at 20, whatever century photograph it is um, 23rd. or 23rd century photo? Cause we haven't. And then later we see photos actually look, just like photos do in 1970, and then later when he's in the the, the virtual world and it's all swirling around, I'm kind of thinking to myself, who would do that? What kind of programmer would do that? Who would waste all the waste all the the processing power and the time to run up little binary backgrounds going on? If if you're going to do that, then at least let them pick a background they like, like a sunny meadow or or, you know, a, a wrecked Mars or whatever it is, but instead of this sort of nineteen eighties Japanese superhero kind of depiction of of cyberspace, um, so I think I think whiteness is, is better because that indicates she did actually remember something, whereas there was no whiteness, as you say. Uh, so when she said that, I, I took it to mean she remembered what Penny wanted her to remember, which was just blank. So that interesting to see. And yet have to ask why Penny says it was, it's dangerous for Percy to come here. If it's dangerous to Percy to come here, is it dangerous for Dante to come here? And I mean, apart from the addiction aspect of it, all of that was kind of like, felt like they were laying it up for, for more on that, that whole issue.
1: The um, that virtual reality penny subplot that keeps on popping up throughout season one is one that I I've, I've never quite grasped fully. And I know from seeing all episodes where that is pop, where that is an an element, what is going on in universe. So I do know the official reason, um, but knowing the reason and understanding it are right. not the same, right? You know, it, it it
0: seemed to me in this episode that the purpose of this is to not let Dante move on. It's to explain why he's so stupid about these things. I mean, he was downright... He was holding the idiot ball today when he sees the kid and he goes, It's Travis! Like, really? <laughs> really? A kid you haven't seen since, according to you, he was a baby in this episode anyway. And... Hell, that kid looks a bit like my kid when he was that age. You know, he looks a lot, he looks more like me when I was that age. It, it just, you know, it's like, yeah. And, and I'm a father and I admit that. There are a lot of kids that look a lot alike about that age. They're going through that transformative where their adult features haven't shown up yet. So they've still got the little puppy features. And it's like, yeah, no, you're just doing that because Penny told you. You could sense him, she could sense him nearby and she is causing this harm to him. Unwittingly, I assume. But, you know, she is keeping him from going through the process of grieving and letting go and moving on. And which is good story wise, because otherwise Dante is not as credible as he could be. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right. And, you know, if this had happened a week ago, then then I could understand why his his whole being is kind of keyed into this. Ten years ago, I don't know, Uh, not not the part where he's, you know, taken by the idea that it's his son, but the fact that he is still just driving forward for it. I mean, at what point does he give up 50 years from now when the kid's 40, you know, and he's 80? At some point you have to go, yeah, we're we're done here. and Penny's back there in the in her little virtual world, says, oh, please find him for me. Please, I have to see him one more time. Like, great. All right. I'll go out and try it again. (laughs) Or more like, all right, I'll be be heading out again. You know, so. um, Okay. Uh, So we were kind of, Percy, once again, she says she's a terrible person. I don't, I don't know, I'm getting a serious amount of lack of self-value there self esteem is not high on percy i see that um we get the the whole bit with the the drone that she packed the drone with explosives i'm going to call it the drone because i think it, it's obviously it's a drone as we know them to be now in that year they were not but uh the bird's eye um it's it came in really handy in this episode So I can't say it wasn't a good idea on her part, but it felt an awful lot like there wasn't a good motivation for it. It was just a plot contrivance that they used to uh, bring the raider down and then strand them without eyes at the same time. Unless, you know, we haven't seen Percy as pyromaniac yet, uh, packing explosives and
1: things. So Um, Percy does hold a gun sometimes. She can't handle herself.
0: I would imagine she'd have to.
1: Yes. I mean, she was
0: doing the battling, the hand-to-hand combat, and I, I assume she was good enough to think she could be in a competition. So she can't be completely untrained uh, in in this way of life. Um, we have not talked about Luke yet. Okay. Again, my favorite person on board this ship. <laughs> uh I. We had yet another incredibly boring conversation with her dad. I'll I'll start there at the end. Uh, You didn't report in. I'm sorry. I didn't have anything to report. Well, report. Okay. Bye, dad. Thanks. Okay. Quick conversation. Just kind of shot out. We don't know what she was supposed to be reporting in. It's interesting that she has a schedule of reporting things. I, I took that to mean like you're supposed to report in every week on Friday or something of that nature. And yes. I could be wrong.
1: It's some um, regular schedule. Yes.
0: So nothing happened. And uh, you can imagine there's an awful lot of time on a ship like that where nothing happens. Right. I mean, if you, if it takes six weeks to transit and you have to report every week and you don't encounter anything except the people on the ship, would there be anything to report? So, you know, w- clearly she's doing something clearly. Clearly, She's supposed to be reporting something back to her dad. Obviously, we've already seen that she's got issues with her dad, another of this family values theme. Uh, coming back in, in the story, Her desperate. she clearly desperately needs that connection with dad, and dad doesn't care less. And But we have no inkling of what it is. We do have the scene in the shuttle at the beginning of the episode yes, where Dante says, so you're going to keep it a secret what you're doing here or something? Um, and she says, well, I'm just nothing, you know, it's an ordinary thing. You got some secrets too, right? And, and then he changes the subject to the weather, which is telling they both have a smile about the fact that they know that they're keeping secrets and she knows he's keeping secrets and they're all keeping secrets. But is there's nothing in this episode that indicates that Lucretia really did have anything weird going on on the planet. I mean, we only see them chasing Etienne. We never see her, you know, slip away for a couple seconds and have a quick word with some operative somewhere or or take a photograph of something or, you know, anything that you would, that would go with that conversation where he's pointing out that she's got secrets and she's denying the secrets with a wink and a nod.
1: Not in this episode, but I call your attention back just Two episodes ago, mm-hmm. the divinity cluster. Yep. This we're, 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 this is a we're, this is a callback to that,
0: right? So the question is, did she have a secret agenda here on this planet? Well, it's not or... about that,
1: that planet. It's just she carries her, her. She carries her, her secret agenda with her.
0: Okay, because that was kind of. Like I say there, there was there was a lot of almost foreshadowing that she was doing something sneaky here on the planet. And then she never did anything sneaky on the planet, but, Oh, I know what I was talking about with a bird's eye earlier. Confusion in the way the episode is structured. They go there. They seem to be picking up Etienne, which they may or may not bring back. We'll talk about the justice system in a bit, but they go to find Etienne. Uh, they, you know, launch the bird's eye, Why They don't even launch it till after they found him. And the only thing we get out of it is that Percy says something, or I forgot what Percy or Caravaggio says something to the effect of, there are supposed to be six other fugitives out there. And we got nothing about that. And if there were six other fugitives and they had to bring them all back, how would they fit them in that shuttle? Yeah. Sorry.
1: It's a good question.
0: (laughs) I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to be counting seats in that shuttle every time we see it. (laughs) From this point on. (laughs) Um, So I wasn't sure, you know, if their assignment was to bring back one or if it was bringing back money. It just they didn't really give us a good feel for the operation, uh, the way it worked. And I know it got interrupted by the Raiders, but it it felt a little confused. And uh, obviously they didn't get any money, so they can't afford any food. So they're going to starve. And now that they don't have a drone... And, you know, there were no six other fugitives. It was obviously just those two guys, Brad and Etienne, running away from the the city. Which, I might add, the way it's edited, I would say that they are no more than 300 yards from the town when Percy and Dante catch up with them. Didn't it feel like that?
1: Yes. I mean, they weren't running
0: for long. And yet, they couldn't get back to the city before the Raiders you know, oh, there's some ruins over there. And it's, it's like, you're, you're right by the city. I mean, those two guys carrying that table did not, with you, you know, you were inside of them when they started running. They did not get 20 miles into the Martian desert.
1: They're not right close.
0: outside the city. So that didn't raise questions. I just assumed that was a bad mistake. Although I did li- I did think they did a pretty good job of making Canada look like Mars. Red filters, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I thought that I thought that looked pretty good.
1: And it works really well with Lucretia's blue shirt. Actually, it should have been... Um, it's, it's New Brunswick, some, somewhere in New Brunswick. Yeah, yeah. That's Canada, isn't it? Yes.
0: Yeah, okay. <laughs> I was going to say that. This is Canada, right? But, but, uh, but, I also like the... the way the snow falling was... Meant to be ion particles from the storm, yeah. I think.
1: Yeah. I've watched the end credits, so I know that people filmed on location and in studio in New Brunswick. Yeah,
0: I, I did actually see the New Brunswick on the end credits. I just I saw that and I thought, yeah, Canada. Okay. And uh, <laughs> went on. I couldn't tell you where in Canada New Brunswick is. Sorry. Sorry, Canadian listeners. Atlantic
1: provinces.
0: Okay. So so more on the Close uh, to Toronto
1: Maine. side. Closer to Maine.
0: Um let's see we saw the communicator so in this one i got a good look at the communicator with the silver painted nokia phone stuck on the front of its cell phone which you asked about last time if i was able to identify that device and i i really couldn't this time we got a pretty good look at it i was like okay got it this is her this is her her secret spy communicator that projects an image on the
1: wall it that's that. That's a remastered special effect. There's usually there's supposed to be a screen that he, that she's looking at. Ah, okay.
0: Sometimes, we, you know, we were just we were literally just talking a, a while ago about the fact that when they remastered Star Trek, I, I I've been through those from one end to the other, and I don't think there are some shots that they did that were not what. They should have been when they made the show. Um, you know, The Star Trek was very economical with their ships in orbit, change the color of the planet, ships going, you know, ships leaving orbit, ships coming into orbit, ships flying through space. They're pretty, pretty standard. Even when they were in a battle scene, they would generally not show the two ships together because it's easier to show a stock footage of ship and then the new footage and whatnot. Right. So when they went back and they remastered them, they a did a beautiful job of recreating the enterprise and the other ships. And then in some, some cases they very thoughtfully altered them. And I'm thinking battle sequences with the doomsday machine. Yeah. Satellite deployment on operation annihilate. Yes. The constellation
1: um, in the Doomsday machine. Oh,
0: beautiful. You know, and, and the, the, the actual battle where you can see the ships kind of, Although there is that kind of strafing run scene, which was a little Star Wars, but uh, or or the Edge of the Galaxy, in where no man has gone before, you know, they made the planets look more like what they described them. Class M planets look like Class M planets. Yes, uh, they do. The planets' atmospheres look the color of the planet. The cyclorama when they landed, they, they did a beautiful job, lovingly done. I wonder, is that true? With Star Hunter Redux, because yes. we've already cited several mistakes that don't match with the dialogue.
1: What well, they—that's nothing. The, could occasionally, in um, we haven't gotten to it in this episode, but there are um, the uh, for ye, the year in the in the divinity cluster is twenty two eighty five. Season one opens in twenty two eighty five, ends in twenty two eighty six. The um, in the original version, it was 2275 and 2276. Um, and so people added 10 years. And and the process, and as we'll find out in some future episodes, they didn't go back and loop a certain dialogue. <laughs>
0: yeah, so... I can see somebody back in the studio going like, uh, you know, nobody's going to believe this technology will be available by 2275. Mm-hmm. Let's bump it forward,
1: 2285. <laughs> What is Uborg, but but there is, I did find some videos on um, uh, was it YouTube or Vimeo or one of those videos, websites, where it was uh, a little me- behind the scenes making of featurette mm-hmm. for Star Hunter Redux and with interviews with the people. And uh, they were taking great pleasure in their work.
0: Okay. Okay. I mean, they don't generally speaking they don't look bad okay the ships look good the space shots look good um you know i I, they're not i would say that they're probably not jurassic park budget kind of cgi but but they look fine and for the most part i really thought the gas effect in this episode looked terrible but for the most part, and I don't know if that's because they just couldn't fix the original and they left the original effects in. It looked very old, and very '80s. I don't know; it's not '80s, but that was the feel I got from it. But you know, like we say, we've got these things where she says white, and they did, they did the the swirly digitally background thing. So it, I just. Wondered how much love and care was put into that um, aspect.
1: Uh, there's one detail um, we do. This is the episode in which we learn that Luke is a veteran of Mars Federation Special Forces.
0: We knew she was a ranger. I didn't know what that meant.
1: Okay, okay, but the um, we do, but um, but she was Mars Federation. Okay,
0: I, I she you know Etienne was making some comment about her, and she says, "I'm a ranger," but I didn't get that that was. I wouldn't have been able to associate that with a Martian uh, Federation or or anything like that. And, Just but that and and for, military. In my, in my mind,
1: I'm putting that together with a line of dialogue from uh, episode five as well. Um, but she is ex-military for sure, and um, elite, elite military, elite military. Yeah,
0: yeah. The name Ranger brings that to mind. I mean, that's a that's an elite, crack military. Crew, um, just like the uh, Black Galaxy Marines, sounds like an yes. elite
1: military. They, as they said, the best of the best. The best of
0: the best, which is typically the Rangers. You know, so obviously the Black Marines are, are another organization, not yes. the same one that she was part of.
1: Well, there are different federations and military forces right. in the in the solar system in this series. Did Dante lie?
0: about the DNA result when they were in the field. Suddenly oh. he remembers, hey, I've got a DNA tester. Check I interpret
1: I interpreted it as he didn't believe the result.
0: Okay. I'd call that a lie. But okay, he he saw the result and he said, oh, it's busted. It could be, I guess, denying it in his mind. But okay, I, I took it that way, but I also could have been, they're trying to make a point about the crummy state of repair of all the equipment that they have.
1: So, okay. Or it could have been broken, but it, it just, it could fit that. He just, it didn't see the result he, he wanted to see.
0: I also noticed that Caravaggio, and I don't know that I've noticed this in previous episodes, but at two points in this episode, he called Percy princess
1: and also my lovely. That just seems kind of weird. One point on that is that Carvo Giode is somewhat sarcastic, that is programming. So someone, I guess, programmed him to um, just be that way. Although it's interesting that he's still that way because Percy, we do know, um, can reprogram him. Right.
0: Okay. Last thing I have. I'm going to talk once again, because we had it in the last episode and we have it here again talking about the wheels of justice in this universe so in this one they're bringing they're actually bringing in a wanted criminal okay or they're apprehending a wanted criminal criminals in this case because they had a record on Brad as well talked about mercury being a strangely cost inefficient type of penal system in a in a universe that doesn't value, uh, in fact, a lawless universe, if the subtitles of the opening credits are to be believed. Uh, But um, cortex moderation. Yes. You take a criminal, a petty criminal, you modify their cortex so that they don't have petty criminal instincts anymore. And because it's level one, you only do that for a year and then it wears off. Taking Lucretia's view, of this that sounds remarkably humane but a ridiculously stupid idea because if they're a criminal and all it does is remove their criminal instincts why wouldn't you permanently remove their criminal instincts but why let them come back in a year yes but is it all it does well taking like i say taking what lucretia has to say and i kind of believe her i believe okay Let's rephrase that. I believe she believes what she's saying. Okay? All she right. she is, you know, all we're going to do is we're going to... Now, Etienne seems to think that he's going to have to wipe Brad's butt because he will be un- literally... Not literally his words, but I'm keeping it PG-13. Um, yes. Because Brad will be a drooling idiot for a year who will be incapable of functioning. Now, Etienne is as we say, a bit melodramatic. So that might be way to one end. Lucretius might be a little bit on the Pollyanna side for what is happening in this. But either way, neither of those makes sense. Because if if indeed you can alter their behavior, you know what is the purpose of a penal system? Is it is it prevention? Is it deterrence? Is it sequestering of dangerous criminals? Is it rehabilitation? It seems to me like removing the criminal instincts, if it can be done safely and effectively and humanely, is rehabilitation. It may not be. There may be some issues with the morality of that, but but there are issues with the morality of locking people up too. I mean, the, you know, all of these things are are not black and white issues. So here we're being presented with an alternative that could fix somebody, but it will only fix you for a year. And after that, what are they going to do? They're going to go right back to being a criminal again, which is an analog for our prison system where you put prisoners in and then they come out and they're still criminals. You put criminals in and they come out and they're still basically criminals because they still have to go on about their lives. And whatever the, whatever the motivations or the economic forces that led them to be criminals in the first place are going to be there and going to be worse when they get out of the system. So in the case of the rehabilitation, I'm, I don't know, maybe during that year you can go off and get jobs and, and you can learn a trade. And then when you, when suddenly the criminal instincts wear, come back, you'll be like, oh, why would I want to do that? I've got a job and I got a wife and kids and, you know, and bread on the table. And on the other hand, that shell game sure looked like fun. I, um, I, I don't know. But on the other hand, if you're going to take people and you either bring them in and put them in prison, or you turn them into a drooling idiot that has to have full time care by somebody else, doesn't make any sense either.
1: It's, it's punishment.
0: <laughs> is it punishment that you understand? Because it's punishing everyone around them more than yes. it is the drooling idiot. I mean, it it really does. It 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 really is one of those things. Like I. Feel like somebody sat down and said, "What sorts of things might we do in the future?" Uh, and and didn't really think about the implication. Of course, it's exactly the same as people don't think about the implications of prison, or, or didn't think about the implications of prisons and, and and the current systems we have. So that's par for the course. But it, it it does adds another interesting piece to the puzzle of what the heck are they doing? What what, <laughs> what is going on with this
1: penal system? This justice system uh, out there—it's not a very efficient one.
0: All right, I do not have anything else uh, on this episode. Uh, neither myself.
1: do I. I have. We well, You've covered some of my notes, and I've covered the rest of my notes. Um, the next episode is Sirens' Song, which. Um, has, well, it's interesting. Well, it's, um, we'll, well, I'll just say that I about s- it.
0: I saw the, op- the, uh, the previews built into the episode and, and I felt like I was watching another preview for something to do with that line in the, uh, the narration about the search. there's signs that something's happening, that a man- humanity's mm. about to change.
1: Well, something's happening, all right. Um, happening. But we'll leave that one for th- that discussion. All
0: right. Kenneth, thank you for joining me. My pleasure. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at fusionpatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production.